One of our kids during the uh, children's message leaned over to me, and as she was looking at the ceiling, she said, alligators are on the ceiling. And I was like, alligators? <laughs> and she said, no, I said, rafters are on the ceiling. <laughs> like a rafter is a group of turkeys. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's a gaggle. Gracie, we're going to have to come back to that. But she was right. Rafters are in the ceiling, <laughs> not alligators. <laughs> if we haven't met, my name is Sam McLaughlin, and I'm the senior pastor here at Belmede. We're so glad you're here to worship with us today, and I would love the chance to get to know you. We want to say welcome to those of you who are with us online as well. We're so glad that you're here. Today is the final Sunday of our sermon ser series called Be Well. We've been focusing on physical, spiritual, mental wellness, and today we talk about communal wellness. And to do this, we've been looking at stories in the book of Luke and seeing how Jesus really cared for people in their full humanity, mind, body, and spirit. So some of what we've said over these last several weeks is that uh, we see a God who cares about bodies, who came and inhabited a body, who cared about bodily healing. So as we pay attention to our physical wellness, we can find a greater place of well-being. We talked about people who are spiritually well, the way that they look and the way that they act, that they're often full of gratitude and joy. They know how to be present in the moment, that they have this grounded interior life, but you can watch the way that they love their neighbor. Last week, we talked about mental wellness, and we talked about sometimes uh, we are overthinkers. We're a culture of overthinking, and what we really need is space to stop and slow down, uh, places to clear our mind and let the answers come to us. Uh, we also talked about how we can fact check ourselves, you know, that our insecurities and our worries and our fears will often lie to us within our, within our minds. And so we can assess those thoughts um, that we are not everything that we think, and we don't believe everything that we think. And thank God we don't do everything that we think, right? Uh, this week, I noticed, and I meant to tell you last week, that across uh, the top, the, the wall of my gym says, strength starts with your state of mind. And so here are a bunch of people doing like physical activities, but it actually says strength starts with your state of mind. And so we talked about what it means to cultivate a strong mind, uh, positive self-talk and affirmations, but also as people of faith, to fill our minds with words from God. Things like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or when we're in a hard time thinking, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. These are words and visions of the kingdom that we keep in our mind's eye. Things that keep us going when we are mentally overwhelmed. Today, as we talk about communal wellness, we're talking about how our individual wellness affects a community, right? We know that if we are stressed or worried or tired, that that state of well-being will affect people in our house and in our church and in our workplaces. And so we want to talk about how we can be well individually and how that affects our community. So how do we have wellness here in our church community and then how do we as a church contribute to the wellness of the communities outside of our doors? Uh, over the last couple of weeks, uh, my daughter, Madeline, who just turned two yesterday, 
started to say a phrase that I, cued me into remembering that my son used to say this phrase. So when she uh, sees the church or when we're leaving the church, she started saying, my church, my church, you know, very like possessive, my church. And so me and her brother, uh, Lewis, who's five years old, um, we started to say, Madeline, it's our church, you know, our church. And okay, she's two years old, so she doesn't understand that she's being possessive, right? It's a way of her saying, this is my church. And so we want everybody who's a part of this church to be proud of that, to say, this is my church. This is the place I wanna be. This is a place I wanna invite people to come. And as we do that, as we come as individuals with this healthy vision of my church, we begin to look at the whole and say, this is our church. And how do, we, how do we have a state of well-being that invites people in to be a part of our church? How do we individually come together to collectively create a well church? As we look at today's passage, we see this. Jesus called the 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He said to them, take nothing for your journey. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. And wherever they do not welcome you, as you're leaving that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And so the disciples departed and they went through the villages bringing the good news and curing diseases everywhere. Now, last week we talked about Jesus having this pattern of blessing and giving back. In chapters uh, five through nine in the book of Luke, we see these healing story after healing story. And there's actual text in two of the stories where Jesus takes a child and heals them and it says, gives them back to their mother. Takes a child and heals him and gives him back to his father. And so we were saying as a church, we need to be in the business of blessing and giving back. Here, Jesus is establishing another pattern. It is gathering and sending, pulling people close to him, teaching them, and then sending them out to do the things that he was called and sent to do. Now, this is just the first of four times that Jesus sends his disciples out in the book of Luke. And here he sends them to preach and to heal. And so some of us wanna say, uh-oh, I'm not a preacher, right? But the two go together. We're sent to preach the kingdom of God and to offer the healing that Jesus has to offer. In the next chapter, in Luke chapter 10, it says Jesus sent out 72. We've got a specific number and this important detail that he sends them out in pairs. And so Jesus is recognizing there is strength in community. There is strength in numbers. In Luke chapter 22, at the Last Supper, as Jesus is preparing the disciples for his death, he's saying, you will carry on this mission. And then in Luke chapter 24, the very end, he comes back in resurrected form. He commissions these disciples out into the world. And he says, but go to Jerusalem and wait, because I'm going to clothe you with power and authority from the Holy Spirit. This is so critical and crucial for people who follow Jesus to understand. 
from the beginning of his ministry until he was standing there in resurrected form. Jesus was showing his disciples how to preach and how to heal, all with the intent of them taking over the mission. So as Jesus' followers, this is our job, to gather close to Jesus, to be drawn up right next to him, and then believe that we are sent out with his power and his authority to see the demons of our day and to cure the diseases that ail our communities. So as a church, of course, it is so important that we gather together on Sundays in our small groups, in our Sunday school classes, in our worship, but this is not our end goal. Sunday is our launch pad. It is our practice field. It is the place where we are encouraged and nourished to carry the mission out the doors. Now, the next thing Jesus says is take nothing for this mission. Uh, the disciples sort of in this moment are giving us this picture of the practice of hospitality. We've seen it throughout the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament, and we see it in the early church as we look at the book of Acts or uh, Third John or other sources. And what we see are traveling apostles and prophets and evangelists who all depended on the hospitality of believers wherever they went. Now, what did they depend on them for? Pretty much everything. Jesus says, no staff, sorry, if you can't walk well, you know, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, not even a tunic freshly washed with a Tide Pod. You know, you don't get clean clothes, you get what's on your back. And so what would it look like to allow people to help us? What would it look like to let someone care for us and offer us the hospitality of the gospel? What would it look like to be a community that was hospitable to all? See, true hospitality has to be a full acceptance of who people are and who they are not, what they show up with and what they don't show up with. And so for any church, it feels like getting to that place of radical hospitality, we might call it, is continuing to shift from being welcoming to being including, to being inclusive, right? Part of our church uh, vision, we've been talking about this among our church and at our church council, is to be a place that is more inclusive. And so if you look at the front of your bulletin, we have just adopted this statement that says, at Bellamy UMC, we believe all people are created in the image of God and God's inclusive love excludes no one. And so we welcome and affirm everyone to worship and serve and lead and participate fully in the ministry of this faith community. We live our faith together, nurtured by the grace of Jesus and growing in his love. This is not something we do perfectly. It's our hope. It's our aspiration. And so we keep it in front of us to hold ourselves accountable. As we talk about the shift from welcoming to including, what it might look like is not just greeting someone who's new to the church or saying hello, but inviting them to your Sunday school class or inviting them to Wednesday night dinner. This church is really good at this, okay? I'm not saying that we're not doing these things. But then once somebody shows up, it's getting up from the group of our own comfort and drawing that person in. It's creating new common ground 
And so that person is not just there, they're not just a spectator, they're a part of the group, they're contributing to the group. Now, about this same portion of scripture, about taking nothing for the journey, one commentator said it this way, by traveling with nothing, the disciples show the urgency of their mission. They show their complete dependence on God and they define their solidarity with the poor. You know, a mark, a sign of communal wellness is a church that has an urgency of mission that depends completely on God, that shows its solidarity with the poor. I just believe that people are shaking the dust from their feet and walking away from the big C church because it does not show an urgency of mission. People want to see a community that's not just focused on itself, but on the wellness of the community. They wanna see attention to the diseases of our time. I believe that we are a church that sees and hears the suffering of our communities. I believe that we're a church that doesn't just gather here, but goes out into the world. I believe that we're a church who really thinks we can do something about the violence and the heartache and the unhealth that plagues our community. As a faith community, what we have to offer is this strength in numbers, this power from on high that if we recognize and own and use, really can make a difference. This week I was reading a New York Times article that was actually written in April uh, from the Surgeon General. His name is Dr. Vivek Murthy, and he writes on one of the diseases of our time. He thinks maybe the disease of our time, and he says that disease is loneliness. He says, at any one moment, one out of two Americans is experiencing measurable levels of loneliness. That loneliness is more than just a bad feeling. That when people are socially disconnected or isolated from community, their risk of anxiety and depression increases. Uh, their risk of heart disease by 29%, dementia by 50%, risk of stroke by 32%. He said the increased risk of premature death associated with loneliness is comparable to smoking every single day. And as you can imagine, people with poor physical health or mental health are even more affected by these uh, effects of loneliness. And so he talks really about the individual, but what he also says is that loneliness and isolation hurt entire communities. He says, when we are less invested in one another, we are more susceptible to the polarization of our culture, and we are less able to pull together and face these challenges, these diseases that we cannot solve alone. And so what do we do about it? He has launched a national framework to rebuild social connection 
and community. So these are three things that he says, that we individually take steps in our personal lives to rebuild our connection to one another, and that this is even more important still coming out of COVID. He says, spend 15 minutes each day to reach out to people you care about, to introduce yourself to neighbors, to check on coworkers when they're having a hard time. And the last thing he says is to serve others, because recognizing that helping people is one of the most powerful antidotes to loneliness. These are things that the church has to offer. The second thing he says is to renegotiate our relationship to technology. Uh-oh. No. He says, create space in your life without your devices so that you can be present to the people that you love the most. Create space without your devices so that you choose not to partake in those online dialogues that amplify judgment and hate. There, uh, in this point, was a clear connection to the class that's going on on Wednesday night that Brian Sigmund is teaching. Uh, there's a book that he's working off, all, off of called Stand Out of Our Light. It's by a Google strategist who turned into an Oxford-trained philosopher. His name is James Williams. And what he says is reclaiming your attention and your willpower will make you live so you can want what you want to want. I'm gonna let you ruminate on that one for a second, okay? <laughs> He's really saying what would it look like to separate from our media, to separate from our devices, to separate from the things that really pull us in so that we can be the kind of people we wanna be that we can achieve the dreams and the goals that we have set for ourselves, so that we can foster unity and connection and communication instead of frustration and polarization. The last thing he said was this, we need to strengthen our social infrastructure, programs, policies, structures that aid in the development of healthy relationships. And so he cites uh, school-based programs and workplace design and community programs that bring people together. And I just thought, I wish churches and faith communities were listed right there because as a church, this is something that is important. It's, we believe that we are a part of this social fabric and this infrastructure that can help to cure the disease of loneliness. We believe that we have meaningful places to connect and to grow in faith and to find this social connection. Steve mentioned to you that we did the service for Betty Lassing on Thursday. And uh, if you didn't know Betty, I'm so sorry. She was 92 years old. She was a part of the church for uh, 60 years. And um, in the middle of the service, at the end of his homily, uh, her son-in-law, Will, was saying how people kept coming up to him and saying, Oh, I just want to be like Betty, right? And so we kind of adopted this phrase among the staff, just be like Betty, <laughs> be like Betty. He said, people keep saying, I want to be like Betty. And so here's what I have to say to everybody who wants to be like Betty. You need to pray, <laughs> you need to read your scripture, and you need to show up at church every Sunday. I was sitting right there. I was like, woo! <laughs> no, pray, read your scripture, show up at church every Sunday. It's not that Betty was just physically present. It was that Betty showed up with radical hospitality, with knowing how to include all people, with caring to cure diseases. 
her individual witness affected the community and our health. And so we show up, like Betty, to our church to create a community where we treat one another with respect and dignity, even when we disagree. A place where we speak to one another with kindness and participate in dialogue. A place where we listen well and we seek to understand. Today, our sermon response song is called, Come, You Are Welcome Here. And there's this line that says, this is a refuge for grace. This is a harbor of mercy. And so I hope that we want to be, that we find ways to continue being a faith community that finds refuge in grace and dips ourselves in a harbor of mercy and then believe that we are sent out with the power and authority of Jesus to preach and to heal, to tackle demons and cure diseases. May it be so. Amen.